You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. This is concerning the oil of the Old Testament. The anointing is a common topic, of course, amongst charismatics, amongst Believers, we refer to that term anointing, which actually means to uh, an ointment that is rubbed on something or someone. It could be like tiger balm, for instance, or Vaseline petroleum jelly, or sometimes um, even the Boudreaux's butt paste. We have this thing in the U.S. called Boudreaux's butt paste, which is literally a cream for baby rashes. That's It's a viscous cream that you put on, all those things. Sometimes women use night cream. Think more of that viscosity, less of a liquid when you think of the biblical anointing oil. And um, But we compare it to the spirit. Uh, we hear of hundreds of points of view about this. And this message, I just want to clarify some things. Our aim is to allow the Word of God to clarify the biblical picture of the anointing, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Now, for you to understand the references of the New Testament, you have to know the Old Testament and what's written there, because the Old Testament is the pattern from which the New Testament speaks in metaphors. In other words, it calls it a type and a shadow, that the law and all the principles of the law, although we do not follow them as per exactly the written law, the principles there are, are very important, and we need to see that and live by them and love them. So when we say this term anointing, and we see the biblical patriarchs using it very often, then we go into this, because there is we're going to see actual anointing oil, like this oil I have here, which is olive oil, because in the Bible that's the oil that they used as per the recipe. But we're going to go in and study the Old Testament example here, characteristics of the anointing, and also what God anoints. And we start with the characteristics of the anointing, five ingredients, and this comes from the recipe in Exodus chapter 30. Verse 22, God spoke to Moses, take the best spices, 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh, Half that much, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cane, 12 and a half pounds of cassia, using the standard sanctuary weight for all of them, and a gallon of olive oil. Make these into a holy anointing oil, a perfumer's skillful blend. Now, this is interesting, this, this recipe, not unlike you would find a recipe in a cookbook or any other amalgam of different ingredients, and it gives very specific measurements in the way that it describes it. Each of these elements has, has a certain significance that I like to think about. So we're going to break down the passage in the first thing we're looking at here, where it says, the Lord says, take uh, the following fine spices, take the best Spices, he said to use only the finest because this is, has to be fitting as something for the king's use. And when I say king, I mean king of kings. So you don't want to get the bargain basement on sale, reduced at Mustafa's spices. You want to get the best spices you can possibly get. And God is saying this, look, don't get no cheap spices, all right? If you're going to make this oil, let's make it right. You get really good. So every element of this, all these things, as they are significant in analogy to us, 
I want us to think it is the best of the best. It is the, the greatest part of us that we give. We are a sweet smelling, fragrant uh, offering to God. And so the best of ourselves, the best of our heart, our mind, our emotions, everything we give to him. And each of the components here we're going to see represent different things. But the anointing is definitely made up when we call the spiritual. It's made up of the finest things heaven has to offer. You think that in eternity, when God is equipping with the power of his spirit, that he is skimping on the quality of the ingredients? They say the source is heaven. He's given us blessings from above. These aren't things that, that he has up there that he has no room for and maybe have spoiled and they're not fit for heaven anymore. So he's just going to dump them down on the earthlings. No, it is the finest, the spiritual components of the anointing in metaphor or it's the best of the best. He gives us eternity's treasures in his blessings and his love for us. And so the anointing is made of the finest that heaven has to offer. I reflect on a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So the anointing is given by God to the church, and to better understand it more, we, we have to uh, flow in his power. We receive these gifts. We are containers or vessels of it, the Bible says. Uh, the ingredients and the components of the anointing oil, the treasure of heaven that is given, is super high quality, but it's interesting that the writer, Paul here to the Corinthians, is explaining it that we, in fact, are crude vessels compared to the quality of the treasure of heaven that's put inside of us. But that's all part of God's grace and mercy toward us. We, Although we have problems and issues and we are corrupt by nature because the way that sin has damaged the human condition, we know that God still believes in putting the finest quality inside of us. The greatest of his gifts are given to us, the anointing. And so I want to look at these five characteristics of this. Uh, one is the anointing flows freely. This point I make because we're talking about liquid myrrh was one of these ingredients. In Exodus 30, 23, it says 500 shekels. That's 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh that are brought together. And we think of myrrh and the fact that it says in the Hebrew that it's a liquid myrrh, a flowing free run, liberty flowing. And it's this word is actually used eight times and is translated liberty, uh, seven of those times. Isaiah 61, one says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach. You know that passage. And that's where this word is used. It says, he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives. Well, that liberty is the word that they use here for liquid means flowing and free. One thing I know about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit never comes to bind anyone. The Holy Spirit never comes to limit. The anointing is never in our life to hold us and stop us. It's always to carry us forward to a great future, a wonderful life. And here the word appears in, in that famous passage. Now, myrrh, that 
uh, ingredient, this myrrh part of it is an Arabian gum from the bark of a tree. So it come, it's a resin that's produced by the bark of a tree that's used in sacred oil and in perfume from a word that means trickle. And myrrh just means trickling. In other words, this stuff oozes. Some of you have seen sap before on trees and it looks like an amber color or a clear color when it comes out and you can go touch it and it's sticky and sometimes it's even like a, a thicker compound almost like a gooey glue and you can pull it off like a little gummy bear and it looks like gelatin almost that that is what this myrrh is like they i've seen it actually on the surface of bark in India, of course, they sell all these spices. So I was able to go to Crawford Market, the largest out, the largest market in the world. Really, it's it's massive. So at Crawford Market, you could go see all of these spices if you want. And myrrh, they actually have. I saw one time a branch of the tree with the resin oozing out of it to show how they get it and how they collect it. And so it was really interesting to actually see it with my own eyes. And they would go collect this and break it off. It was very fragrant. Very fragrant. So we see the first characteristic of the five tells us that the anointing is a free-flowing love fragrance. It's a liquid myrrh. It's this very strong in its fragrance. It's a delightful fragrance, but it is free. It was for freedom that he set us free. And he will never put his spirit upon us to bind us. He will put his spirit on us to loose us, to flow free and have freedom and liberty. He come to set us free. The anointing was upon Jesus to set us at liberty. The same Greek word, I mean the same Hebrew word, to set us at liberty to be able to be liquid. How many of you want to be liquid? Just move. That's even a term they use in finances. You know, if you have liquid money, it's money that you can just kind of use at your disposal, however you wish. It's not bound up in CDs or banknotes or or any kind of anything. It's just you're liquid and free to spend and do. That's how God is spending the anointing on us. It flows free. Uh, the next is the anointing is fragrant, and here the mention of cinnamon, Exodus thirty twenty three, half as much. That is. 250 shekels or six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon he gives us. Fragrant, the spice, uh, balsam, the balsam tree where this particular perfume or sweet smell comes from 29 times it appears in the Bible. And it's most commonly translated as just spices. But it's a very specific spice. This is a copyrighted substance. And when God copyrights it, even he prohibits anyone from reproducing it. So these elements, this is kind of like God's patent that he put in the patent office and prohibited anyone from making it. And I know, in fact, some Christians have taken this and they want to make a holy anointing oil and they mix it together. I don't know if I would feel very comfortable doing that. I mean, because he said, don't do it. I know that we no longer live under the law, but oil in general is mentioned for the anointing and how we anoint with physical oil today. But you can do what you want, I suppose. But I just know God said, don't reproduce it. It's special. It's wonderful. But now we live in a spiritual anointing. Fragrant cane. It says the anointing keeps the standard of heaven. And uh, this, the, the fragrant cane, 250 shekels, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cane. This particular material is a reed or a stalk. Uh, uh, the same word cane is used for bone sometimes, balances, stalk, 
a water plant like the reeds that grow up out of the marshes. Biblically, we see it 62 times with a derived meaning as a measuring rod. In fact, you know that's how they measured out the temple. The angel came to Ezekiel and said, I want you to take this rod. And what it was was a reed. He gave him a reed with marks on it. Imagine that you take a branch that is straight or a reed and you mark it to some standard and that is your measuring rod. And that's exactly what the angel was doing by this same word. Ezekiel 40, verse 2 says, In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. So he had the same reed that the Bible talks about, which is part of the ingredients. And so the man said to me, son of man, look with your eyes and see here with your ears. Pay, take that rod, he tells him, and go measure. Very interesting. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10 says, He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the anointing freely flows through those called and equipped to measure out the dimension of, of God's people and their offices in their place. So the, the saints or the churches gathered together, God ordains and anoints certain people that they put forth a standard and a measurement of exactly how to do that. So we see all these, this symbolism here. The anointing comes from worship. This word, kasia, 500 shekels of that. That's 12 and a half pounds of Kasia, all according to the sanctuary shekel it mentions. And Kasia is uh, kida, another word for it comes from the word kidad, meaning to bow down. The word kida is used two times in scripture, meaning Kasia bark in shriveled rolls, because when they would take it off, you ever cinnamon also does that. This is probably more like what you think of as cinnamon when you buy it rolled up. That also ground into a powder and put and crushed into this mix. And uh, this, I like that the word means to bow down. It means to worship. It means to, in fact, the, it comes from a word that is literally that when you see God's people bowing before him. Uh, like Nehemiah 8.6 says, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they uh, kidad. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So this ingredient of the anointing oil of the Lord shows us that it is when we bow before the Lord that his glorious and powerful anointing comes upon us. When we go to him in humility, when we seek him, uh, he does not give it to us when we are arrogant and boastful. He gives it to us when we yield. We place a demand on it, but you can place a demand in humility. You can beg and hope for something and say, God, I really want this. Please give it to me. And you can do that. That is a humble heart crying out and asking God. I think it is dangerous for us to march into the holy place of God and make demands upon God with an arrogant heart. We do so in humility. 
We tell the Lord, like the Syrophoenician woman, like the Canaanite woman, that look, we, we're not worthy. Uh, like the also the man said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. And the Syrophoenician woman said that even the puppies eat the crumbs. She wasn't uh, offended by being called a dog because she was in humility. And Jesus was really checking that out to see if their hearts were right. And the man in the temple who beat his chest is the one that was justified rather than the other who out of his display of religion and arrogance actually caused God to be repelled by him. And he was not made righteous. So we become saturated with the smell of heaven when we bow down in his presence, the fragrance of the king. This, you might say, is kind of like God's cologne. And if you, you know the smell of certain people, you ever know when someone's been in a place because you know their cologne and you, that specific cologne. And um, before I used to only wear Hugo Boss so people would know where I was by the certain cologne. Now I just, whatever people give me, I use. So I kind of change brands pretty often. My current fragrance is Coach. And it's nice, but I miss the, I miss the Hugo Boss too. I like that too. But I'm very grateful for the people who give me things. But if... Jesus, in his heavenly form, is wearing cologne. It's this. It's the anointing oil. Uh, it's the same oil. This same concoction that we're studying is what was put upon the head of Aaron and melted and ran down across his beard. And the Lord said that it was beautiful. It was wonderful. God sees this as pleasing to him. It is his identification mark for all things that belong to him. And this is where I come to the fact that the anointing is thick and rich. This oil that would be this sav or balm, olive oil, it says a hen, that's a gallon, about four liters of olive oil. So that's a lot of olive oil, but I want you to consider the overall ingredients. Now, some of you who have kind of calculated this, start thinking of the dry to wet ratio of ingredients. You understand now why this is a balm and not a liquid. Because if you crush by measure, if you actually did make this, you don't end up with this bucket of liquid stuff. You end up with a big old glob of paste. It's thick and it was kept that way and had to be picked up with the finger just like some type of a balm and then applied by smearing it. And you smeared it almost like you were spreading peanut butter on a piece of bread. And when it would go onto the skin, of course, it would sit there. But then the body heat would melt it and it would become a liquid. Because these ingredients went together, un if they got warm enough uh, above a certain temperature, it would liquefy. Not unlike a lot of liquids you have, certain fats will do that. You know that if you have bacon and you cooked it and there was grease left and you walk away and come back, it's white and turns into a solid. Certain lards will do that. This is more like this. But when, it was, when someone was anointed with it, it would, it would melt and pour down over them. Because this is oil, fat, oil, fatness. Olive oil as a staple, medicine, uh, it talks about. And so we see these interesting facts about it. And in Exodus 30, 25, it says, Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred, that is, the, the sanctified and separated anointing oil. Now, first of all, I want you to understand the Hebrew culture, they had lots of anointing oils. No, it was not something new that God said, look, you can use oil. 
Ta-da. No, they knew and had many oils and used it all the time. In fact, in Hebrew culture, from that moment on all the way to the day of Jesus, you see oil. You see him mad at Simon because Simon, the, the Pharisee, did not give him oil to anoint himself when he came in. It was used for makeup, much, much like people will use. It says when we fast to anoint ourselves so that we don't look like we're fasting. So it's, it's something to even beautify, cleanse. When the man, the Samaritan, found the man beaten and left half dead, what did he do? He poured in the oil and the wine. It was used as a disinfectant. All of these things. Shepherds used these salves on their sheep's noses to keep the bugs from laying eggs in the noses and causing infections that would inevitably kill the sheep. So it was a big part of culture, but it was not sacred anointing oil. You could make this and just exempt one ingredient and put some substitute and you were safe. And there were perfumers, it says. In other words, if there is the work of a perfumer, that means to make this, they went and got a guy whose profession was making perfumes. And so this is, gives us a better understanding of the roots of why we say anointing and what the anointing is. So consider this recipe, the consistency of it melting over you. This is what happens when you come into the presence of God. You come into the presence of God, God puts it upon you, but it takes a little while. Uh, sometimes it has to, it will respond with you. I know that uh, we see that, for instance, David was anointed by Samuel, but it took a long time for it to melt him into a king. It wasn't overnight. God will anoint you, and he will put the anointing upon you, but sometimes it will sit there residually upon you and not really do anything until the heat of your life gets to the right point, and then it melts and begins to do its job. Also, it was not as fragrant in a solid form, but when melted, it effervesced into a beautiful fragrance. It's not unlike the essential oils we put in our houses in the little tubs with a little candle under it, you know, and we light it and we like the aromatherapy, same thing. So when the principles of aromatherapy, if you had this oil, this anointing oil and put it somewhere, you would smell it and it would be delightful. And God would say, hey, that's my cologne. What are you doing with that? Okay, now I want also to consider, because this is just a teaching on this. Now we have this viscous liquid or um, paste. We put it in a container. Uh, what do we do with it? Because God said, make it for what? God never makes anything without a purpose. Well, he has a very specific design for this. If I show you any device that I have, uh, I have this little mixer here. If I flip it up on the bottom, you'll see a serial number and a, and a metal plating there that very specifically names it with all rights of copyright and patents pending to it that protect it from being illegally reproduced. Why? Because it is authentically a Yamaha product made by the Yamaha Corporation, which does many things, music primarily, but they also, of course, make motorcycles and boats and boat engines and all those things. But they originally start, in fact, their logo is three tuning forks crossed upon each other. And so here Yamaha wants to make sure people don't come along and create this exactly as is and put their name on it so it is very specifically marked and branded 
Same thing with Gucci bags and Prada purses and, you know, all of these things, Louis Vuitton uh, merchandise. The laws are very strict here in Singapore, actually. If they find you, just with one in your possession, if, in fact, I know a story. Did you ever hear the story of the person that went back? They thought their bag was a real bag, and they went to Louis Vuitton to have something checked, and it turned out to be a counterfeit one, and they pressed charges and had the police come. They didn't let them leave the store. The person I feel really sorry for because they were given the gift as if it were a real Louis Vuitton bag. And they went thinking, well, of course, my lover would not buy me the wrong bag. He loves me. Well, he got busted. Well, she got busted and actually had to go reconcile with the police and track down the guy. I mean, there's some serious laws. Why? Because it protects authenticity. It protects something if the name of quality is upon it. And this now is the purpose of the anointing oil. Do you understand? This is the purpose. God made a copyright stamp of this paste that anything he put it on is his and his alone. And if he puts it on you, you are his purchased possession. The Bible talks about the seal of the Holy Spirit of redemption that comes upon us. That he marks us with that seal. That reference speaks of the wax seal you melt and put the stamp, the tupos, into the indelibly mark it with a signature mark that also could not be reproduced. So he seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. The day of redemption is when he comes back and reconciles all things to himself and takes what's his and divides the sheep from the goats. Well, how would you like to have a tag put upon you that marks you as one already redeemed? Yes. And why the Bible says, let the redeemed say so. I'm redeemed. Show people the mark. Say, look, see, I have been branded by God. How do you do that? You let them smell the anointing that's upon you. Because it is such a characteristic savor, the smell, the fragrance of God's signature anointing upon you proves that you are his. Now, because of this, I, in spirit, I do not want to be connected to anything that does not have God's oil on it. I don't want to be connected to something that isn't anointed. Why? Because I don't know whether it belongs to him or not. And why do I want to be a part of something that doesn't belong to God? And I have had to make some hard choices through the years about who to associate with, what ministries to go to to visit, who to fellowship with. And sometimes the anointing has proven to make me stay in a place I don't want to be because whether I like it or not, it's anointed. So it clears up some instance in my mind when I think that, well, I don't know if I'm comfortable or I like this. No, just ask one question. Did God anoint as he put the anointing upon it. Does it affect you? Well, then you know you're marked in connection with that, at least for a time. So we see objectively looking at the Old Testament again, looking at his examples, what God anoints. What does God anoint? Well, there's five objects. In Exodus 30, 26 says, then use it to anoint. So he gives you the recipe, but now he's saying, okay, now I want you to use it to do this. And how many of you want to see the five things that God says he's marking as his? Uh, the first one says, use it to anoint. And then number one is our gathering. Exodus 30, 26 is the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Testament. It's the first thing on the list. Then use it to anoint the tent. 
What tent? The tent of meeting, the tabernacle where the priests come and officiate, where the people gather to offer sacrifices. We bring a sacrifice of praise to the house of our God. That house is the first thing on the list. The gathering today of the church, the believers, that some might forsake their assembling of themselves together in these last days because they'll fall away. They become disgruntled and unhappy, but we cannot. We need to maintain our connection to the gathering because it's the very first thing that God calls his. The two or more gathered in his name. The tent of meeting. The meeting of the church and the spirit together on earth is anointed by God. There's two voices that cry out in these last days begging Jesus to come. The spirit and the bride. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Come. Even saying that, I hear the spirit I feel the desire of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants Jesus to come and redeem us. And when we join his desires, we feel that same yearning, that same wanting. The Spirit and the bride. The Spirit and the bride. Will we unite truly with the Spirit? The Spirit is, in essence, like the, 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 the best man at the wedding who is taking us by the arm, protecting us, leading us all the way to that point where we will be wed with Christ as his bride. He is our bridegroom. So the Spirit is with us to anoint our gatherings together where we are protected. The next is our service. Not our church service, but what we do for God. It says, and anoint the table and all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories. So first the actual gathering place. But now he says, anoint the utensils. That is the tools with which to officiate and to do the work of the temple. God anoints those things. God anoints the people who offer themselves up as a tool to God. That are These are the people that are the technical and administrative functions of the affairs of the church are anointed by God. The bookkeeping of the church, the PowerPoint operation is anointed by God. That's no different than the shoe bread table and the utensils that were used in the candlestick. All those things are components that work together and God puts his anointing upon it and we need that anointing. Next, our worship, it says. Exodus 30, 27, the altar of incense. Now, the altar of incense had only one purpose, and that was for them to put the coals and then put the incense on top of the coals, whereby it would burn and the smoke would rise in a representation of the prayers and the petitions of the people of God going up, the worship itself. The worship, when we connect and the, the beam of God's holy light links us into the eternal dimension, that moment in worship where you cross that line, that's because God anoints worship. It's only five things mentioned. Only five. And worship is right there after the tent, the tools, the worship he mentions. Next is our offerings. That's interesting. The altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin with its stand, you shall consecrate them so they will be most holy and whatever touches them will be holy. 
So here we're looking at sacrifice. Our offerings are our sacrifice. God anoints sacrifice. God anoints anything that contributes to the sacrificing. When people lay down their lives for the sake of their brother or their sister, when we do the service of the temple, we see the utensils, but here we see someone giving out of not their abundance, but actually sacrificing. The Bible speaks about that, but there's more than that. There's time. It's what Jesus was most impressed about all of these people. He told them they give out of their abundance. But this woman gave out of her need. She gave all she had. And that that is anointed. It's anointed. It's so anointed that Jesus saw it and recognized from across the street. You know how close you had to be to see a widow's mite, that little slither of copper, and to be able to count them? That means Jesus was watching, ran up, and stuck his nose into her business, watching exactly how much she put into the offering. That means he cares. Why? Because it's anointed. The anointing is what draws the attention of God because it's his. In other words, Jesus was saying, see, this is my sacrifice. This is significant to me because this woman has given out of her need. And he anoints that. Now the last one, number five, us. Anoint Aaron. How many of you named Aaron here tonight? And his sons, you can say, well, my dad's name is Aaron. And consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Now, this is human beings. This is my favorite one. <laughs> this is my favorite one. Because I, I get that he anoints all these things and all that we do in conjunction with these things. But this is just us for the sake of us so that we can have the power to do what he needs us to do. He anoints us. Anoint Aaron and his sons. Consecrate, separate, sanctify them so that they may serve me as priests. I will tell you this, I have been serving him for many years, more than three decades, and if it were not for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I would have never made it this far. It's not been in my strength or my ability. When I've had my back against the wall and have been confronted with great opposition, if it had been for my strength, I would have quit 30 years ago. I would have quit the very first night I stepped into the mission field when the black shadow walked down the hall and said, leave here. You don't belong here. I met this devil face to face and I was out of there. I'm like, quit. I'm gone. Bye bye. I'm never doing this. But his anointing was upon me. And it reminded me, don't. In fact, I was so confused. I thought it was God telling me to go. It's the first time I stepped on the mission field. Stepped out into the hall, and there was that shadow. It said, go away, go home. And I said, yes, sir. And I went and hid in the room. He said, why, are you a coward? No, I was just ignorant. That was the first time I ever confronted a spiritual force like that. And the wonderful thing was in that week, we had fellowship with believers that had the spirit of the Lord upon them. And they encouraged us. One particular woman indeed was Ben Kinchlow's secretary. And Ben Kinchlow was the, the one of the co-founders of the 700 Club with Pat Robinson. And she was a great woman of God. And her name was uh, Joan Breckenridge. And she ended up there on the mission field. She was there in an administrative position when we were visiting. And when nobody else was really making us feel good about this possibility of being missionaries, she brought us in her house by the Spirit of God. And the anointing that's upon her came upon us. And suddenly we could do it. We felt like I, we can do this. And we felt encouraged. Why? Because God encouraged us. He anoints us. 
Whoever submits to the Lord in service to the King of Kings will be smeared with the anointing of God to be consecrated for that purpose. Verse 31 says, So the Israelites uh, say to the Israelites, This is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not pour it on men's bodies. Do not make any oil with the same formula. It is sacred, and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and whoever puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from his people. Now, this is a very strict rule concerning it that he mentions here, and I mention it just to say that it is a signature. God chooses who he wants it to be upon. And if you ask him and you seek him, you put your life in his hands, he will give it. So we see uh, there in the New Testament now, I want us to go there. The New Testament anointing with oil by example. So are they using oil to do things? Yeah, they are. It says calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So these are God's agents. Jesus is sending them. Then they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So here we see an actual mention. Where do you think they got this from? There is no mention of Jesus using the oil. He mentions the lack of oil. At Simon's house. I've studied it carefully, but nowhere do we see Jesus taking anointing oil and smearing it on people, uh, maybe because he himself was the Lord. And so he was himself in person come down to be with us, but his disciples are using it. Everything else, they're doing exactly what Jesus taught them. We can theologically maybe assume that perhaps Jesus told them, or it is something they simply inherited from their culture. Because they were Jews, every one of them. Good Jews, faithful Jews. Jesus was the Jew of Jews. They all were Jews. In fact, the early church later we see also by, by actual directive, the New Testament anointing with oil by directive in James chapter 5, 13. If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil. In the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So here we find a reference in the Bible from James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, that's saying in a command form, use oil. So we see by directive that God expects and says, okay, you use this oil and you can go and anoint people. For what purpose? Both of these, you notice, were for sickness. Now, we do use oil for consecration. Some people do. I personally don't. I let the Holy Spirit do what he has. Now, I have read a whole different kind of perspectives about this. There are some theologians out there that outright say we have no business using oil and say it's a Jewish tradition that has come to an end. I, I don't quite agree with that because I see it in the Bible. Here it is. They're using it and doing it. I have seen oil do effective and wonderful things. I do see biblically that it is mentioned here specifically in the context of healing. 
So we use it as such, and we will do. If you are sick, you can cry out to God and ask for his healing, and you call the elders, it says. You call the people that will pray for you, and we can take oil like this. This is just plain olive oil. There's no fragrance in it at all. But I can take that, and I can anoint you with oil and pray for your healing, and I believe that God will heal you if you have sickness or disease. But it depends upon your faith. Be it according to your faith, the Bible says. And this is where we need to understand. Um, remember, I told you last week when we looked at the breaking of bread, we were talking about Christian traditions or physical things we do. And this is one of them. That's why I'm talking about it tonight. Because I'm kind of staying in line with that, that idea for us to clarify. Uh, I am not going to do a teaching on foot washing. I'm not going to do it. I will not be washing of feet. I don't want anybody touching my feet. And I don't want to touch your feet, honestly. I will find other ways to emulate the principles that Jesus was demonstrating. Because otherwise I can also say we need to get some seed and go out and throw seed into the fields and on the ground. And th this is how we will obey the word of God. No, he used it as an analogy. And he taught. So that's one thing that we do. But we do water baptism, don't we? And that's very physical. I just did three young women from mainland China who prayed to receive Jesus a couple of weeks back. It was wonderful. Had a wonderful baptism time with them. It's beautiful to see them quiver and cry and then put them under the water and bring them up. And they're so happy, big smiles on their faces. They had just received Jesus not long before that. We do that. Why? Because it is fulfilling all righteousness. It's a physical thing that we do. But here it's interesting to see devotional biblical considerations concerning the anointing. In recap of all this, we saw the characteristics of the anointing, five ingredients. The, the anointing flows freely. The anointing is fragrant. It's a sweet-smelling savor that comes from our lives. The anointing keeps the standard of heaven. The measurement like the rod, that's part of the ingredients if you have eternity's oil on you, if you have eternity's signature, God's signature anointing upon you, the standard of heaven is put upon you, which is a good thing. Uh, the anointing comes from worship. It does. When we, um, you know, when we bow down in the presence of God in humility and we really yield, the anointing can be released. Now you can also enter into worship and not yield. You can see worship more like a spectator sport where you sit and wait for something, but there has to be a bowing. You come and you offer and you put your most into it. It's not just a physical thing that by osmosis. Now, I believe the anointing will still have an effect if you just stand there staring at the wall. Still the presence of God, but what, how much more when we have that bowing of heart as one of these ingredients comes from worship. The anointing is thick and rich. It's put upon you, it melts, it runs down over you. And what God anoints, these are the things, our gathering, our service, our worship, our offerings, and us. You and I are anointed. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And I'm so glad that we do. I wouldn't want to live a life without the treasure of heaven upon me. And I'm grateful to have it. 